Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us at another of our episodes of Bifro Social. And today we have a special guest. We have François Xavier, who is the president of Ulysses Nardan America. So, hi, François. Hi, thank Sophia. you. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for uh, inviting. I'm very glad to be uh, to be speaking uh, with uh, uh, your LA team today. <laughs> yeah, well, from LA team is just me today, but uh, for sure, I feel like we'll have a chance to really meet in real life, and uh, I'll introduce you to everyone. Do you mind giving us a little bit of bio, basically about you, um, how you came into the industry, you know, how you came into Ulysses Nardan, and um, just a little bit about the brand itself as well? Oh gosh, it's a long story. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to make it short. So. Uh, I've been working in very different industries. I joined luxury industry um, when I joined um, Tag Heuer as a watch company in 2007 in uh, Russia. Uh, I opened a subsidiary in, uh, in Moscow. Um, from uh, Tag Heuer, I moved to Christian Dior, also part of a VMH group. Uh, Christian Dior Perfume Cosmetics. I was a general manager for the brand in Russia as well. Then I moved to Europe. I've been working in Paris as a commercial director for Europe. So working with big accounts like Sephora, for example. Uh, and I moved uh, to the USA when uh, Kering, so the Kering Group, uh, called me to uh, take over the position uh, of president of the Standard Americas, uh, as you just uh, mentioned. So 10 years in LVMH and uh, a little bit more than two years with Kering right now. Uh, and that's it. And uh, Ulysse Nardin is a pretty fabulous company. It has been created almost 175 years ago. So in 1846 by Mr. Ulysse Nardin, it's a name. Um, so Mr. Ulysse Nardin was a very talented watchmaker. Uh, he founded his own company. Uh, quite early, uh, the company uh, started to produce marine chronometers. So basically, they were doing B2B navigation instruments, uh, supplying more than 50 admiralties and also some merchant um, companies. Uh, then it moved, of course, to watchmaking. And the company has been acquired, uh, acquired in 2014 by Kering Group. Um, you know, Kering, we have plenty of other brands as well known as Gucci or Balenciaga, Saint Laurent, Bottega Veneta, Pomelato, and so on and so forth. So it's a beautiful uh, group. And um, we are with Girard Perego, uh, the two watch companies owned by Kering. And just a word about why Kering made the acquisition of Ulysses Nardin. Uh, it's not only because the brand is amazing. I mean, if you love watches, uh, you know that Ulysses Nardin is one of these very top um, brands with a true heritage, never stopped making timepieces for more than 175 years. But it's also because it's a true manufacturer. You know that in the watch industry, you have plenty of companies, plenty of brands, but very few manufacturers able to produce everything in-house. And Ulysse Nardin is one of these very few uh, manufacturers. So actually, it's uh, very interesting that my family, uh, well, my father, he is a huge fan of Ulysse Nardin, but he's been complaining a little bit about it lately. He was like, I wish they kind of, you know, proceeded with the marine theme. Like there's so much things to do in there. He's just like very, he's a little upset. I feel like he just wants a little bit more yachting in there. 
Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I'd be Sophia. I'd be happy to discuss it in the corporate <laughs> session because it's true that uh, starting with a new management, and I'm part of it, um, the company is a little bit changing, but it's changing in a way that it's rejuvenating. So, uh, some kind of uh, I would say old. I don't say your father is old, of course, but some classical, uh, classic uh, old customers may find the brand being like oh, into a very little, a little bit of different direction. If you think about it, we are not really, in fact. Uh, on one hand, Ulysse Nardin is very um, loyal, not only to its customer base, but to, to its heritage. For example, we are um, the timekeeper of uh, the biggest yacht shows in the world to address yachting. Uh, right now, you can go online, you will find the first ever virtual Palm Beach International Yacht Show, and Ulysse Nardin is the timekeeper. We are I actually just... I actually just did look right. at the website and I was like, cause I was, whenever I was like preparing for this um, interview, you know, I actually went on the website and I was like, let me actually see what, what interesting things are they doing right now? Like, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll get to the part of like COVID and, you know, luxury brands, but I feel like it's just such a beautiful and interesting way for you listener Don to actually, you know, host one of the biggest events in the luxury industry, but like still doing it like in a virtual space. And it's be like, it's beautifully done. I loved it. I was like, wow, I was like, this is cool. And that's the point. If you go to the boat shows in Monaco, uh, Fort Odell or Pine Beach, you will see the very wealthy yacht owners wearing a UN by tradition and this tradition goes on. That's why we are still timekeepers of the boat shows. And in terms of the marine collection, the marine collection, uh, you should tell that to your dad. The marine collection, it's uh, in volume, the number one collection of Phyllis Narna. So I think that Phyllis Narna didn't lose uh, touch too much. Maybe there are some exceptions, but with uh, his loyal customer base and his heritage. But on the contrary, Phyllis Narna has been very successful the last two years in bringing some very new, I would say also very young customers to the brand. And if you see the X collection, Freak X or the Executive X, these two collections are best sellers in the USA and they are bringing 30 year old customers. And that's great. That's what the luxury needs right now. Yeah. Can you, can you define luxury? Oh, many ways to make a definition of luxury and everybody has his own definition. So if you go basic, luxury comes from uh, Latin language, uh, luxuria. Uh, it becomes then, it became then, sorry, uh, luxury in French, in old French language. It means, uh, it means luxury in a modern way. So the meaning of the word didn't really change. It also means rankness and extravaganza. So this is a definition of luxury. If you ask my, uh, uh, my definition of luxury, it's uh, something which is difficult to make and produce. It takes time to produce. Uh, it stays relevant in time. It gains value in time as well. And either the value is emotionally for the owner of this luxury object, either it's uh, gaining value, I would say money-wise, and it is luxury for me. And I take an example, a beautiful watch um, offered from a father to his daughter. Uh, it's a beautiful mechanical watch. It's a It will have some diamonds. So there are elements of uh, limit, limited uh, products, hard to produce, very precious, 
with an emotional bond. And for this young lady who received, for example, for a graduation, uh, this really certain timepiece, it will gain value with time. And for me, this is true luxury. This is uh, this is amazing for me too. <laughs> I have the same I have the same meaning of luxury for me. I feel like it's a little bit about I love heritage, so that's like why I love watches. I love jewelry. I feel like those two are the definition of luxury. So something that is limited in numbers and something that is very valuable and precious, um, and something that can be kind of given from generation, like passed through generation to generation. I feel like that is really the definition of the luxury. So we have those in common. I agree. Okay, so let's jump into the luxury segment. It is believed to be the most stable segment of the fashion industry. Um, would you say that the statement is accurate and why? I think it is accurate. Uh, and why? Because luxury is timeless. While a lot of fashion brands, they answer... Uh, a need, a need of today. When you talk about brands like Balenciaga, uh, or let's consider Saint Laurent, for example, uh, these brands have defined their style long time ago. They have their own DNA, and this DNA is trusted. You know where Balenciaga comes from, uh, with these beautiful dresses, with amazing colors. Uh, you know where Saint Laurent comes from. He was a designer for Christian Dior. Uh, in the 50s, uh, he redefined luxury uh, in a way. Uh, so when brands like that have this very, very strong heritage, uh, which endured trends, fashion, buzz, you know, um, and these brands are still here and still manage to have this amazing limited production, choosing the, be the best materials, the best designers, having the most beautiful stores in the world, uh, the most daring marketing campaigns. These brands, they don't really fear uh, what's happening right now, if you want, because they will, they've been there 50 years ago and they will be there in 15 years. They are able to be timeless in their definition of luxury because their name became timeless, Balenciaga, Gucci, uh, but they can also address or define what the trend is. And if the trend dies, I don't know, the trend of high heels moving to sneakers or there is something after sneakers, they will be there because they did sneakers and they did high heels. For sure. What do you feel about the new luxury brands that are currently like, I don't know, some brands that entered, let's say the market like a couple of years ago, like two, three years ago, and they consider themselves luxury. I mean, if you take luxury as a definition, um, difficult to get and very expensive, of course they are luxury. And after, exactly as you said, for you, luxury is based on an heritage. So maybe for you, they are not luxury. Once again, uh, as I, as I said at the very beginning, there are defi different definitions of luxuries, of luxury. For some people, Ferrari is luxury because of the heritage of Enzo Ferrari. For some other people, they will tell you that they prefer Tesla because it's a modern definition of luxury based on innovation, sustainability and looking forward to the future of car making, you know? I mean, I can respect this point of view. Mine is that uh, timeless luxury defies uh, time, defies trends, been luxury from the very first day, are still luxury today, is still luxury tomorrow. This is my appreciation of uh, some of the brands you can find, for example, in the caring group. And this number, of course, 
uh, as your father knows very well, uh, for me, it's a pure definition of uh, a luxury manufacturer for the same reasons. Yeah. Luxury brands and products are more sustainable. What do you feel about sustainability? What do you feel and what can you kind of um, define as sustainability, I'd say, in the luxury world? And is luxury actually an equivalent of being sustainable? It's a very good question and very relevant to our time. I mean, uh, luxury brand and products are more sustainable. Should I agree with this statement? Uh, yes. Having said that, it's interesting to see a lot of brands, uh, very new brands coming uh, right now, having sustainability as their core idea, their core mission. And I think we have to respect that a lot because that's very smart. Uh, because I think it's a necessity of our time, uh, to address sustainability. So I respect, uh, these brands very well, very much. After as a luxury or not, it's uh, another discussion. Uh, and to your, to your point and statement, if luxury brands are more sustainable, I don't say they are more sustainable, but I say that the best luxury brands are sustainable and have to be sustainable. I want to make a quote here. Uh, a quote taken from François Henri Pinault, who is uh, uh, my big boss, if you want, uh, <laughs> being the chairman of uh, uh, the Caring Group. Uh, what he says is luxury and sustainability are one and the same. And that's very true. Uh, if you see what Caring is doing in terms of sustainability, I think we are leading in the luxury world, having so many initiatives which are uh, true and that you can check uh, on um, uh, a way to create sustainability uh, in the luxury business. And it goes in everything, in production, in logistics, uh, in distribution, in marketing. Uh, in Starna, for example, uh, we, um, we have in-house a laboratory in Switzerland uh, in charge of working on everything related to watch making in caring group and in charge of defining and checking that everything is sustainable. So the way we purchase, if you want some raw materials, the way we distribute, the way we do the packaging, everything, everything must, um, must, uh, uh, sorry, I'm looking for words, but, um, must, uh, it kind of must be a part of sustainability and must be recyclable and reusable. Yes, exactly. We, we, we have yeah. some, uh, we respect some guidelines if you want, which are the stricter of the industry. Uh, and uh, everything we do is checked in order to make sure that we respect these sustainability rules. And I think that's part of, um, what luxury is supposed to do. Luxury is supposed to drive innovation and luxury is supposed to drive value creation and the best way to do that in our time we are in the year 2020 is to make sure that everything we do is sustainable because if we in the luxury industry uh, lead the pack in uh, creating some guidelines on what sustainability is if at the same time you have some new brands coming being also sustainable in the way they um, create products all the other brands will have no other choice than adapting to the sustainability uh, guidelines. And then we have an, a sustainability, sustainable, if you want, um, business. And that's good for all of us. 
Yeah. I just been hearing a lot. I've been attending a lot of events on sustainability and I've been, um, you know, kind of, um, listening to different conversations regarding sustainability. And there's always this statement that says that wholesale and, um, uh, quick fashion, they shouldn't be, you know, in place anymore and people shouldn't spend money on it rather than spending money on like more expensive brands, just buying less and like wearing it for longer. But at the same time, how do you kind of see this relevance between sustainability and majority of like, let's put it this way, like even U.S. citizens not being able to afford, you know, those type of luxuries. Do you feel like it should be, it should work both ways in the sense of luxury brands kind of lowering down their prices or is it that they should get their salary raise um, in order to be able to, you know, um, keep up with this um, sustainability trend? I think there will always be brands being uh, uh, leading in terms of innovation and quality. And these brands, uh, because they can do more, faster or better, will probably be more expensive because it has a cost to develop uh, quality and even sustainability. Having said that, I would say it's like quality of let's food, for example, of the quality of water. There is a minimum and everybody should have access to a minimum of quality, the same way everybody should have a minimum access to sustainability. And it's not because a brand is more mass market that it should not respect a minimum of guidelines. And as you said, and as we discussed, some new brands are coming with products which are not too expensive and they respect criteria of sustainability because at the very core of the way they work, the way they think, uh, they said, okay, we will do our product this way in order to make sure that there is sustainability or quality. And they are not always the most expensive brands. So here again, uh, I think that luxury uh, should be at the top of everything. It explains also the price. So it should be at the top of everything, but it doesn't mean that everything should be uh, not qualitative and not innovative. For sure. Okay, so... Let's go to the next question. In the past 10 years, watches have become a significant element of status and success. Would you say fine jewelry will be a thing of the past as we just see people spending more money on cars, on, you know, um, on real estate, on uh, watches, uh, rather than the actual fine jewelry? I think fine jewelry is doing pretty fine. In fact, if you see brands like uh, Boucheron or Pomelato, uh, they are beautiful. One is French, Boucheron and Pomelato is Italian. These two, uh, these two jewelry brands are part of the group. So I speak with them regularly. Uh, they are my colleagues, if you want. Um, they are doing pretty good. Um, and I think they address a different target audience. Um, and I think that once again, High jewelry is a pure definition of luxury, uh, as we defined it together, uh, the heritage, uh, the quality, the precious materials, uh, also the timeless message they sent. Uh, so I don't think they will do bad. I think they are doing pretty good. Probably they recovers, uh, they will recover very fast from this, uh, stay at home, you know, uh, order. Um, so I think I have no, 
I think they are fine, simply. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know what I have observed recently that obviously a lot of brands, I feel like it started maybe from 2016 when, yeah, 2016, it was when Rolls Royce kind of started adjusting towards the millennials and we saw this huge movement in luxury brands like Gucci, like Saint Laurent, you know, Tom Ford, all of those, they kind of started being a little bit more modern and a little bit more um, approachable for the younger audience. Do you feel like that is exactly the same thing that is happening with like fine jewelry, uh, with watches? Cause they're making it a little bit more, um, how do you say it? Like not like simpler, but a little bit more in time. Let's put it that way. Yes. And I think that's, uh, what's, yeah, you're right. This is exactly what's happening with some, uh, very, uh, classic names like Rolls uh, and that's what's happening with the standard. We discuss that. If you go to the parties we organize, um, uh, maybe your dad will be there, but mostly the, the guests, <laughs> mostly the guests are 30 year old people, 35 year old in Miami. Uh, we did a party at the boat show, um, with, uh, Oat Living in Fort Odell. If you look at the pictures or the videos, you can find them online. Everybody's like 30, 40 year old max, you know? Um, so, uh, what's happening with, uh, high jewelry is the same. Some brands probably have a very niche customer base of wealthy individuals. Um, and pre- probably they are older because it takes a lot of, uh, investment and capital to go into, uh, some of these high luxury, uh, jewelry brands. So yes, they look maybe older for your perception. What's interesting is that inside the customer base of some of the best uh, brands, you find some younger audience. And I think Pomelato is a great example of a beautiful Italian maison. Uh, but the customers I see around me uh, in the Pomelato stores, they will be like super cool, hype, 25, 35 year old ladies buying some for themselves as well. Uh, so I think that's high jewelry, maybe not all the brands, but I think that's uh, um, most of the high jewelry brands are adapting very well uh, to to the new audience, if you want. And uh, that's what they have to do, obviously. Yeah. I mean, as you started talking about young ladies who are successful and they're buying themselves uh, luxury presents and presents for their family, from what I've seen so far, um, I feel like there has been a really big change for for understanding like luxury presence because i remember like even maybe 10 years ago it was still considered to be you know like if it's a luxury product then it's probably like your husband your boyfriend uh i don't know your family kind of gifted that to you and right now we see this huge change with you know I feel like maybe digitalization kind of gave this a huge push of younger people, not just like, not just women, but I feel like for younger guys as well, um, you know, kind of that push to be successful, to earn more, create more, um, be, um, how do you call it? Like independent, uh, on much earlier stages than before. Do you see the same kind of movement happening? Like even when you say you're like your events and you listen are done, you have much younger people. Do you feel that it's getting younger and younger every year? It's true that um, you find uh, it depends which markets as well, but you have many markets. I think China is the best example 
where, uh, or even Russia, uh, which are two big markets for uh, Ulistanda, where in fact the older people have less money than the young generation because the job creation has started uh, 20 years ago. So in some markets, by definition, our customer is younger and super hype and he goes to Ulistanda because when he has bought two or three other brands, he goes to us because he understands he's part of a club of a company with very small production of very innovative products. So he enters into our club. Um, in the USA, uh, it's a luxury market is very different. It's very unique, in fact, uh, somehow because the luxury market is defined by brands being not American. Uh, it's not really, uh, you don't really have strong domestic luxury brands, if you want. Um, and, uh, you see, I mean, we have a very wide uh, assortment of customers in the USA. We have this uh, 60, 50 year old people having amazing yacht for $25 million, buying some complicated pieces for $200, $300,000. And we have many of these young guys, uh, they bought two or three other watches before. Um, they're cool, you know, they know what they want, they know that they will do good in their life and career. And they come to us because they love watches. They love the innovative part of it. Uh, they love the idea of being part of, a, once again, of a small club of people having access to uh, amazing uh, amazing objects. And these guys are very young. So it's a very difficult to, um, somehow for everyone, it's difficult to address these two types of customers, you know, um, because you want to be relevant to the young and you want to be relevant uh, to a customer who has been following you for more than 30 years, uh, sometimes. Uh, at the same time, I agree with you that um, you have a trend in the USA with vintage watches or brands like us or some other brands uh, where a young customer finds that super cool. You know, Maybe before this customer, a generation before, a 25-year-old, you want to make sure that you buy an apartment and you want to buy a, a car. Maybe these guys today, they, they prefer to rent an apartment for the flexibility of it. Uh, they prefer to lease a car uh, or they don't even need a car, like in New York, you know, uh, and they have some cash. And for status or just because they love watches, they will come to us. So I think the watch business is a very dynamic market. And uh, even the Apple Watch is kind of an incredible phenomenon because it suddenly... Uh, thanks to the Apple Watch, everybody has something on the wrist, you know? Yeah. So we have a lot of customers. They both have an Apple Watch and a Ulysse Tardin or Rolex or Audemars Piguet or any type of other brand. They have both if you want. So how come you guys never collaborated with Apple Watch? I know I have I have a collaboration between Hermes and Apple Watch and I absolutely love it. I love the leather and i love that they have those like beautiful Hermes faces so how come you guys never never did that you should ask my as a question to our ceo patrick Pregno. you <laughs> work uh, he was in charge of the apple watch project so he knows apple pretty well and he left apple to go to caring and lead listener, which is interesting uh, and i think we can't be compared to Hermes. Hermes, it's a brand uh, and Hermes means quality of the laser and the handcraft of laser. And so it's an Apple Watch and it's uh, the laser 
and the color yeah. MS. I just, it was, we, we are a manufacturer doing automatic yeah. watches. Um, it's impossible to put an automatic movement, which is what we do uh, on an Apple watch. So, so far there is no collaboration. Uh, for sure. Like I understand where you guys are coming from, obviously, because you pride yourselves for the beautiful and hand manufacturing um, of unique pieces. I mean, I've obviously there are common, common ones that everyone is wearing, but they're like, it's the same thing with any other, I feel like luxury brand, there are common collections, which are a little bit more affordable. And then there is more unique pieces, but I feel like I, even before our interview, I was talking to my friends. So I love all the luxury brands and I come from a PR uh, background. So I do have a really big knowledge of Yulis Nardan and carrying and LVMH and uh, like major companies. Um, but I've been talking to my friends who they know like the most common names, right? So they know like Gucci, Saint Laurent, Prada, all of those, like a little bit more, let's how you like to say it, hype uh, yeah, and the brands with a long heritage and a lot of advertising yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so with Ulysse Nardan, I was actually very surprised that people don't know about the brand. Um, because for me, it's a very, like, it's a common brand within like a circle of like my really close friends and, you know, um, my family and people, uh, in the industry of fashion. But I was a little bit surprised that, especially here in the U.S., people are not aware of the brand. So I thought that maybe actually, you know, your collaboration with um, with brands like Apple, which are like technically advanced, you know, which have a huge number of like young people who are buying into constantly, you know, every single, pretty much every single day, <laughs> you need to do to buy something from Apple. It could be a charger. It could be a, I don't know, another wire another piece of uh, computer or whatever. Um, so like something to do with kind of brand awareness, it doesn't necessarily have to be like an automatic piece, but it's just a digital version of the Marine theme. Let's put it that way for Marine lovers. So, so, yeah, everything's possible. You don't know what's coming next. So everything's possible. Having said that, uh, it's, um, uh, you raise a good point with brand awareness and the fact that people know us or not, uh, Ulysse Nardin has been a little bit behind the scene. And it's true that since Kering has acquired Ulysse Nardin, uh, there are some more buzz and momentum uh, with Ulysse Nardin. Uh, still, Ulysse Nardin is not Rolex or Omega or Apple, if you want. Um, we do not have the same marketing money. And we are in a part of a club. Uh, you know, the more volume you do, usually the more advertising money you need or you have. Uh, Ulysse Nardin is a very small club. It's a manufacturer. Um, the bottleneck is also uh, the capacity to produce watches in-house with the highest level of quality. Uh, it's complicated movement. Uh, everything in the watch is made in-house. And in fact, the inside of the watch, so the movement is also made in-house. Um, we have a pretty impressive technology, silicium, diamond seal. I don't want to go too much into details. but we are closer, if you want, uh, to um, uh, Ferrari or Rolls-Royce, to name uh, uh, brands uh, we, we discussed already, uh, than a, a more volume-based um, watch business. And uh, for us, you know, when a customer wants a UN, he always finds us. For sure. You know, our distribution is extremely limited as well. So having uh, said all of this today, 
our marketing strategy is also adapted to the fact that inside the community of Phyllis Nana, and uh, you, you mentioned it, people interested in the sea, in yachting, and also in innovation, but also people uh, having the possibility to access our pricing, these people usually they know us. And if they don't, yes, there is a problem. And I must address it. <laughs> uh, but usually they, they know this. No, no. They may not yeah. be our customers and they are non-customers. So they are, it's very interesting for me to talk to my non-customers, obviously. Uh, and then it's a matter of time uh, to raise our brand awareness. As you know, we are really in a momentum right now. We are hype. Uh, the watch people are, uh, the watch uh, customers are, are looking after this. No, no. So I think we are we are in a pretty good situation. If not everybody knows about us, that's fine. You know, they will be part of the club someday if they want to be. <laughs> yeah, making it uh, still exclusive. Okay, so we already spoke about the millennials. What do you feel about the Gen Z? What are you What are your thoughts about the potential of luxury brands kind of targeting this really young, you know, a little. Um, a little, let's put it, I don't want to say that they're weird, but they're, they have completely different, you know, perception of living and perception of investments um, and understanding of the world, let's put it that way. Yeah, which is great. And you know, it's interesting because every time we discuss uh, um, Z, Z generation, etc., we discuss as if they were really somebody else and we are all very old talking about them, you know what I mean? <laughs> We forget that in the teams, uh, in our office in Switzerland, when I was working in Christian Dior, for example, we have plenty of 20-year-old, 22-year-old, 25-year-old managers, interns, you know, and they are part of defining brands. So let's not forget that they are not like weird people we see from far away. They are basically our our friends, our kids, our colleagues, you know. And having said that, um, I'm very excited, in fact, by... Uh, by this rejuvenation, if you want, of the brands because they want to address the Z generation. If you think about this new generation, they are very tolerant, very international, more than the generation before. They travel, study abroad. I think they don't want any bullshit. They want to trust the brands. They want to understand that the brand uh, are doing something real, not try to create value, but they are doing something real, you know, for the communities, they are part of, um, for people, you know, uh, for sustainability. And all of these values, I think, are very good. They also want to understand why they should spend money for a pair of sneakers or for a watch. And I think that the fact that the brands like us have to address these very positive values of this younger generation is very positive for luxury. First, it makes us better people. So I think there is some ethical aspect in uh, uh, coping with the values of this younger generation. And second, it makes us also relevant, not only to the 50, 60-year-old loyal customer, but relevant for everybody. And I want also to add some point. When I was a kid, I was looking at my dad. My dad has blue jeans on the weekend, leather jacket, and beautiful leather boots. And I thought, oh, this is cool. So when I get a little bit uh, older, teenager, and uh, I was looking like my dad. Today, the dads, they look like their kids. Now, today, the dads, they have sneakers. <laughs> yeah. 
the dads are checking, oh, is this sustainable or are there this type of brands, you know, doing shadow thing, you know? So I think there is a reverse trend of the older looking at the younger generation. And uh, except if you see something wrong about it, for me, it's all positive. It's all good. For sure. No, I love this. You're mentioning this, you know, twist in generations. That's actually something that a lot of people have been noticing that people who are way older, you know, they started wearing like loungewear, you know, to work. They started wearing more sneakers. You know, I feel like it kind of all started from um, like even techie guys, like they were always wearing, you know, like sneakers to the office and like they didn't, they never cared about wearing like, you know, suits and they were kind of, you know, breaking the laws of the fashion. And then that was the moment, like the hobo moment, let's put it that way. Exactly. And then right now, yeah. And then right now we see a lot of people, successful businessmen who are like, let's put it that way, like beyond 50. Yeah. Who's been there for a while. They, they're investing their money into like Yeezys. They're investing their money into Gucci. They're staying trendy, very like hype. They're very conscious. They're starting to really being a little bit more conscious of like what brand they're wearing. What does this brand stands for? Um, is it sustainable or not? You know, they're trying to look more relevant to the younger generation because they know that younger generation is actually the one that's going to bring them money and going to kind of guide them a little bit more into the industry and give them like more insights. I really like that. Um, yeah, I think the world is really, I mean, it's what I say is so common, my God. Um, but it's also taken from uh, Bob Dylan's song, you know, the time is changing, you know. And um, I agree with you. Uh, I'm just thinking with a smile of, uh, uh, you know, these old movies or when you see or when I saw my dad, you know, in the morning, you know, wearing a suit, wearing a tie, going to work with a little, uh, you know, uh, with little bag with papers and pens, you know. Today, especially with the stay at home and all the work we do, like, uh, like right now we are on digital, you know, uh, platforms. Uh, you don't really need to dress up too much or you need to be comfy. And uh, it's interesting to see how traditional companies known for working on leather, like Gucci, for example, are known for uh, long uh, night dresses uh, like Balenciaga. All these companies are so luxury and so cool and so comfortable with the sneakers and everything they do. Um, you see, it was a taboo before, but luxury brands doing sneakers, luxury brands doing backpacks. I mean, if you told like, uh, uh, some designers 40 years ago that you will, this luxury brand, whatever the name, like, I don't know, Saint Laurent will do backpacks. The guy will look at backpacks for, to go camping <laughs> or what, you know, to go, to go hiking the Pacific trail. What's the story? Uh, and now these brands are doing, I've got a Saint Laurent backpack when I go to work. My God, this is so cool, so comfortable, you know? Um, and I think that's amazing to see luxury brands being so relevant today. Uh, while at the very beginning, it was, it looks like a very different story. And I come back to the same thing. Luxury is winning today and will stay relevant just because it cope, uh, with the time, with the trend, with innovation, with comfort, and it stick to its values of doing the best possible product for right now. We've kind of covered the um, topics of the luxury segment on the current market. And obviously, 
And obviously, um, you know, with everything that is happening right now with COVID-19, we see that there has been a huge, like a massive effect happening in the industry. Obviously, as like in 2008, I think that was the crisis right in the U- in, in the world, not just in the USA. There has been a huge crisis, but yet not that many luxury brands have been affected due to the, to them being um, uh, more, more stable than any other kind of company. And obviously people with money, they will always probably have money. Uh, but what was, what would you say were the results of this particular crisis for the luxury segment? What are the most obvious things that you see? Uh, I think 2008, I remember I was living in Moscow at this time, uh, depreciation of the wobble. I mean, yes, it was pretty bad, but I think it was just a stop and go. And uh, it was also a time when the luxury brands were investing a lot in marketing uh, and also doing this change we discussed. It was a time when, for example, uh, traditional companies were moving into sneakers and backpacks. (laughs) So the luxury brands during this crisis, they were in this very high momentum. So it just stopped a little bit and it continued. Uh, Right now, it's a little bit different crisis. Uh, It's a bit early to say. Uh, what's what's happening if you want uh, except that of course stores being closed you have less sales also it's very sad to see all this destruction of jobs uh, and people losing their uh, their security their safety their jobs so this is a, a very uh, hard time and uh, of course luxury brands suffer from lack of sales um, so once again it's difficult to understand what's happening right now uh, but if you ask me I think it will just accelerate trends we discussed before, uh, like sustainability. I think it's, it's a very good aspect that we can, uh, very positive. I'm optimistic here, but what I also believe is that after this crisis, brands which are still a bit old fashioned will move into a more digital, uh, or new, new way to talk to customers. I think it's not about how expensive you are as a brand. It's more, what is the quality of the experience you bring? We really in the industry have no other choice. Um, and I think Lissandra knows that very well. That's why I'm pretty optimistic. We have no other choice than bringing the best experience to our customers. And not just saying, oh, we have a beautiful, expensive product. And uh, good luck if you can buy it, you know? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the attitude somehow, historically, of some brands. I think today it's not about that. It's what is the experience you bring to a customer. And I think the other optimistic change uh, I expect from uh, this crisis, it's also something very deep into my my values, if you want, is what is the contribution of a luxury brand to society? As I said, a luxury brand must be the most innovative, uh, must be uh, leading the pack in everything, uh, in terms of quality, research, and uh, creativity. Uh, and thanks, or thanks, due to this crisis, uh, the luxury brands will have to continue being the best in everything to stay relevant, especially when people may feel like, oh, I have less money, less money, I feel less safety, why should I buy such expensive products? And I think they should still buy these products because we bring them an amazing experience uh, and because they trust the quality of what we do. 
Do you feel like um, more brands will go digital? Like Chanel, for example, that's one of the oldest luxury brands and one of the most, I'd say, established ones. But you could never purchase anything online unless it's vintage. Do you feel like those type of brands, they're going to go online, they're going to lower their prices, um, or is it still going to stay the same? I don't think they have to lower their prices just because the fixed cost of being a Chanel uh, to name this brand is very high already. You have to maintain teams, amazing flagships in the best places in the world. You must have the best designers, the best creators, the best advertising. So if you want to innovate and if you want to be the best in what you do, uh, there is a cost for it. So I don't think it's about reducing the pricing. Uh, about being more digital, yes. For example, Ulysse Nardin is opening on the 1st of June, so in a few days, um, we are becoming uh, e-commerce in the USA. So till now, it's not possible to buy a list number on our website. It's starting now. And I think it's one of the examples of, yes, companies have to be more digital and uh, once again improve the experience to uh, uh, their target audience, if you want. That's amazing news. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> on going digital. <laughs> yeah, I think it's obvious. We must be. Uh, I think we are in a, it's a thing of the time. So we must be, but it's also a way to support our partners. Um, we are, we don't have boutiques in the USA. We only work through uh, retailers. If you talk about Los Angeles, we are working with Ingwali. We are working with Felmar and working with West Time, for example. Uh, and the fact that we have uh, an internet uh, which is also e-commerce friendly, allows us to, in fact, have uh, a better servicing. At the end, people will still continue to buy at West Time if they live in LA, uh, but they will find a, a better e-commerce, a better website. We'll also upgrade our website with videos, more content. Our website also is uh, different in the USA. Uh, so with your IP address, we will recognize that you're based in LA. So the content will be different than if you see uh, our website and you live in France or China. So um, the digital allows you in a company to address different people in different geographies. And the content can be different if you're in New York or if you're in LA, for example. For sure. That's beautiful. That's actually amazing. The fact that you're catering to different, you know, markets completely differently. Like, I love it. I feel like it's, it's something that a lot of companies are struggling with. And I feel like because you're such an international brand, and you're catering specifically to your target audience. I love it. It's amazing. You know, uh, Very smart. Especially in the USA. Uh, USA is a, it's a puzzle. Uh, you have, it's one country, but very different communities. I think it's interesting. LA is the best example of many communities being in one city. And yes, because it's not as a very rich universe, we can discuss who we are. Uh, in the same city to different people with different messages. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you see, I've got a surfboard on my back. <laughs> um, it's a surfboard which is made by uh, a non-profit. So I invite people listening to this podcast uh, to search uh, the non-profit called One More Wave on internet. They are based in San Diego, West Coast, and they do tailor-made surfboard for disabled veterans. So this is a message which is very, very um, uh, strong on the West Coast. Uh, it's also very strong in Florida. 
Uh, so we did some marketing campaigns. We did some fundraising events in uh, in Florida, for example, because we know we have a target audience very motivated by the sea because we are by the sea uh, in Florida. And also we want to support the veterans. So we say, okay, let's do a marketing campaign in Florida only. Let's do a fundraising in Florida. And we raise a lot of money allowing to produce 50 surfboards for disabled uh, veterans. So maybe we won't do the same communication in Chicago, or maybe we will do it at a different time. Maybe we'll do it for the 4th of July. Uh, maybe we will do it another time. So we have uh, such a rich universe um, uh, that we can communicate many messages. And thanks to digital, this is why digital is amazing. Thanks to digital, uh, we can choose who you want, who we want to address a message, uh, when and how. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I've been like staring while you talk it, I've been staring at this board. <laughs> it's very beautifully done and I love it. Even though it has like a branding of you listener done, the backside of it is really beautiful. It remi- it's like a is yes. this like an X-ray kind of print at the back? Yeah, so when here you see these handles, this is for uh, an amputee. So an amputee could surf on the surfboard using his hands in order to uh, guide the surfboard. And here exactly you have uh, X-ray. Oops. You have an X-ray of a shark. You know, this Nana loves sharks. Uh, shark is uh, one of our symbols. And inside the belly of the shark, you see elements. A watch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You see some elements like a bezel, movement. You see a spiral, uh, balance wheel, etc. You see some elements of uh, the skeleton X and the freak X uh, watches. And you know, shark... Uh, it's everything, as we know. Uh, so this one, <laughs> this one has been uh, uh, eating his watches. This one is a piece of art. Huh? It's a it's a unique piece made by one more wave. And uh, as I said, these guys are doing tailor-made surfboards for veterans. It's incredible. It's such a beautiful message that you guys are doing. Like I love it. I saw the program actually as well when I was on your website, and I think it's such a great thing. Um, that you're giving people like another chance. And I feel like, you know, surfing and like just being in the water is just such a beautiful like force of, you know, kind of giving them hope that they can still do exactly the same things as other people can do. It's, it's amazing. I love I it. it. I think it is Sophia. And uh, it comes back to the point we were addressing before about luxury brands. I think luxury brands uh, and the one who didn't understand that before uh, because of the COVID crisis, they will have to understand that. A luxury brand is not here only to make money and only to create beautiful objects. A luxury brand is always part of a community or they are part of a country. Uh, they are part of uh, a club, uh, uh, however you want to uh, say that. Uh, we consider that Wisnana is part of a community. We have the history, as your father knows very well, of uh, being part of uh, the yachting community. Um, our connection with the sea because we are doing marine kilometers a century ago. We also have strong links with the U.S. Navy because this Nardin starting in 1905 uh, was a supplier of the U.S. Navy for the torpedo boats and the submarines. So because of all these connections with my team, we see our mission as, of course, sailing watches, but also as a corporate uh, social responsibility. That's why we are working with the Navy SEALs. Uh, and we help the veterans because we consider that they are part of our community, if you want. And uh, One More Wave is an example. 
I think the other examples we could give is uh, what we do with the sharks. We have some projects in terms of sustainability and uh, preservation of sharks uh, because we have the shark as a symbol of the brand for many years now. So now what we are saying is that, okay, because the shark is a symbol of release nana, how can we protect them? You know, because they play a big role in uh, uh, the equilibrium of the food chain. Yeah. Okay, let's be smart here. We are an amazing company. We are making money. Sharks or the veterans are part of our community. Let's help these guys, you know, and that's what we are doing. And I think that as a customer myself, when I choose a brand, I love to understand what is the mission, the core mission of the brand. And I want to give an example of a brand which is coming from the West Coast. I've been uh, doing a lot of outdoors, a lot of active uh, sports, you know, and uh, I love a brand like, uh, for example, uh, Patagonia. Because Patagonia is the very core, uh, they believe they have values, the products and the customer experience they deliver, uh, communicates the core values of Patagonia. And Patagonia is not a luxury brand, but that's fine. At least they stick to their, to their guns, if you want. And, uh, I think this is what luxury, uh, should do. I completely agree. Uh, I feel like social, impact is always important for the luxury to be as i said i'm i'm a big believer in heritage and i'm a big believer in social impacts from those type of brands but i feel like they have the biggest exposure they have the biggest financial support that they can give to people um so yeah i mean as i already said i feel like yuli sardana is doing something great there um i've seen your videos i've seen you know, I've seen people talking about it and I've seen the faces of those veterans being on waves. It's, it's beautiful. It looks like a completely, you know, life-changing experience. And I love that. What would you say for the luxury bands would be the most challenging thing in the next couple of years? Uh, it's a very good question. And I think I'll, um, I'll follow up on what I just said before. I think uh, the biggest challenge for many brands will be to redefine their mission. Um, many brands believe that their mission is, is still glitter and gold, you know? And uh, I think that the biggest challenge for these brands is to say, okay, what is our true mission? Uh, how do we contribute to innovation? How do we contribute to society? How do we contribute to sustainability? How do we contribute to trends? Um, and I think that this idea of contribution is very strong. I mean, what I love with the caring group is how at the very heart of everything we do, and it's a discipline, you know, it's a mindset, how at the very heart of everything we do, we consider sustainability as um, a decision factor. We could refuse to do something, because it's using too much water. Uh, it is not safe for the employees. Uh, many decisions are related to the core mission. Caring mission is to say, okay, sustainability as the heart of uh, the creation. Very good. And I think that uh, we do that very well. Some of the companies do that very well, uh, of course. Uh, and some luxury brands are not there yet. So their biggest challenge understand that the mission is not about is not only about selling as expensive as possible uh, some uh, objects. Yeah. 
Um, I just want to bring up another theme that he, we're at Bifro are like, there is a, there is a problem that we're trying to solve. Obviously you most likely, because you've been in the industry more than two decades, you definitely have experienced part of the problem of the industry of creative industries. Let's put it that way. Competition instead of collaboration. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, competition is a, a good motivation factor to do better. Um, so I'm not against competition. And I think it's pretty good, in fact. Uh, of course, there is a limit to everything. But I think competition first is good because it stimulates uh, innovation and creativity. Uh, and after, you have collaboration. Uh, in Kering, for example, we collaborate with the other brands. I've been yesterday on a call with all the CEOs. So every week we speak with, uh, I speak with the CEO of Gucci, Balenciaga, Omelato, Saint Laurent, Boucheron, Brioni, uh, and I forget a few brands here. Um, Bottega Veneta. So if you want, we inspire each other in the way we, uh, we work. So you have collaboration in also some events we do. I've been doing some events with Brioni and Madison in uh, Avenue. Uh, we are doing some collaboration with some non-profit. One More Wave is an example. So I think uh, competition to stimulate and have this energy, you know, uh, and collaboration to make everything you do better. And uh, I think we do both. It's very difficult today to be just alone and do your things alone and completely ignore what's happening out of your own small world. Uh, the world has been very collaborative uh, in the luxury industry. You see a lot of cross-marketing, for example. Uh, I love to do uh, animations with yacht companies because we share the same customers. We've been doing, uh, as I said, events with our sister brands like Pomelato. Uh, I do a lot of uh, events with Christie's international real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do an event, usually I invite uh, our friends from Louis XIII, uh, the 100-year-old cognac. So in everything we do, you have collaboration. Do you see any changes within the professionals in the industry? Has there been any major changes in the past like five years, let's say? Because I've noticed that, you know, I've I've known so many luxury brands that they worked with cohesive brands. Let's put it that way. Um, and then we saw Supreme collaboration with Louis Vuitton, two brands that you could never imagine doing a collaboration with, right? Subculture brand, very urban and a really luxury established brand uh, with a particular sort of clients. Let's put it that way. Do you see those changes happening more often has there been more changes within the companies um you know like in a way that they perceive potential collaborators yes it's huge how uh and how interesting it is if you want the classical way to consider luxury brand is you look at your dna and you adapt your dna to the time of today now you see brands looking at their dna and they say okay how can we disrupt it? And who can we invite inside our DNA to disrupt it, you know, and create something a little bit different, a little bit crazy, a little bit insane. 
Uh, and this insane cre creativity is super cool. It makes us super hype. Uh, it creates some buzz. Uh, it drives some uh, attention, attractiveness to the brand. At the end, Louis Vuitton, they do handbags and luggage. So they can do something crazy on the side, inviting somebody else. But at the very core, they still do what they started to do in 1954. So I think it's uh, interesting to this collaboration as long as they don't kill the brand. And maybe some brands have been too far in uh, uh, disrupting so much who they are that in the end, you don't recognize the brand anymore. And they have lost their loyal customers. And that's very sad because when you lose your loyal customers, it's not the same brand anymore. So I love to think that uh, when we are doing our work, I love to imagine that there is Mr. Ulysse Nardin from very far away looking at us and saying, oh, what these guys are doing? This is amazing. This is relevant. This is cool. I'm happy to have my name on the dial of this watch, which is looking like that today. So you have to think about it, you know. And uh, if you feel like uh, Mr. Nardin, Mr. Vuitton, Mr. Dior will love what you do, well, maybe then it makes sense to do it, you know. <laughs> For sure. Um, the last question. And uh, I'll let you go. <laughs> um, what would be the advice for younger talents and younger brands who wish to work and be in the luxury sector? My advice is first, if you're not in luxury, try to join the club. You know, by <laughs> definition, luxury is extraordinary. Makes sense. Um, so it makes our job extraordinary. I think that's, uh, that's the first thing to say. I mean, you said I've been 20, 20 more years in luxury. I mean, I'm not so old, you know. Uh, I did some industry. That's not, that's not what, <laughs> that was not what I was saying. <laughs> I, meant, uh, exper I meant experienced. I meant experienced. I, I, did, I, did, I did different type of jobs in different industries. Uh, I could have been in real estate. I could have been in finance. I could have been in um, FMCG uh, as I was before. Uh, at the end, I realized that... Uh, in uh, the luxury world, uh, you have this connection with the past. Uh, as we discussed together, it's, it's wonderful to be, to see the heritage of a company. I mean, when I go to back to the office in Switzerland, uh, the building we are in, uh, you have people making watch, watches. You have people working on finance or marketing. We have a small museum there and our HQ is, uh, the family house of Mr. Listana, where he created a workshop in 1946. So I think having a connection with our heritage at the same time uh, doing some crazy stuff online and being so re relevant and so innovative today, I think that's super cool. And that's what I love with the luxury industry, connection between past and looking uh, to what should be the future of what you're doing. And the other thing I want to say uh, to, as you say, like a younger professional is just just understand who you are, you know? Simply what you love to do. Um, try to know yourself as much as possible. Because if you know yourself and you join a job uh, which corresponds to your values, your, your skills, uh, then you'll be, uh, you'll be happy and successful. And, sure. uh, and what else, you know? I love it. I'm happy and I think I'm <laughs> in the luxury industry, so I'm happy to be here. You know, um, saying that you wouldn't be successful in the luxury and being the president of America of Yulis Nardan, you know, I mean, um, 
how much more successful can you get? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've worked, I mean, come on, you've worked with like the biggest companies in the world. So, you know, I feel like as long as you still enjoy what you do, I feel like that is the, the key thing. And I, and you look like you do, you know, yes, you I love do. it. I think, you oh. know, uh, some people ask me, okay, what about your job, etc. And I've got three answers usually. The first one is to say that it's good to be in a group like Caring because the creativity uh, uh, in a group like us is completely insane. It's just beautiful, this creativity uh, on uh, fashion, handbags, jewelry, watches. And uh, when you are part of a group where creativity is at the heart of every decision, this is amazing. Um, also, Listana is amazing. It's like, a, it's like a mission, you know. You have this 175-year-old company and you have to make it cool relevant hype uh and just have a lot of fun doing that with my team and the third thing is that Ulysse Nana is not only about watches it's all the universe and i would say the subculture behind Ulysse Nana uh, the spirit of being a small club uh, having a very small production going to a very few people uh the work we do is non-profit uh for sustainability shark preservation, uh, the fact that we help the veterans and all the network of the very, very uh, qualified, if you want, network we have uh, is making my job completely amazing. I'll give you an example. Uh, we launched a watch, a uh, marine collection watch, um, two years ago when I started in the USA. Um, and we wanted to, to remind basically our customer base about our uh, history as supplier of the U.S. Navy. We launched this watch during the Medal of Honor Convention at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. And this is a true connection of listener. We are very, very, very small, but talking to the very, very, very aware and conscious uh, customer. And all of this makes my life like super cool, believe me. <laughs> Well, it's the most important thing, you know, as long as you're happy and as long as you still love what you're doing, I feel like that is a huge thing for a lot of people who are working in companies of that size. You know, it's very important to really enjoy your job and love your job to actually go there every single day, you know, love the brand as much as you do. And clearly your passion for you listen are done is very much visible through our conversation, you know, and I love that you're, you're very educated about your brand. This is what I love. This is very interesting. And you've given us so many interesting insights of the brand. You know, I, I know of the brand, but I, obviously you gave so many details that I wasn't aware of, like shark preservation, for example, I will uh, let my mother know she is a huge advocate for sharks. She's a professional diver, so she loves them. Oh, um, great. So you, yeah, you, have, you have to follow up. I will tease, uh, <laughs> I will tease your network. We have some announcement to make very soon uh, in the USA about uh, shark preservation and science. So just follow up. It's official in a, in a month now. Uh, it's an amazing adventure, an amazing journey that we have started with uh, certain people we will talk about soon. And uh, it's another beautiful story. Um, and uh, once again, as I said, it's a mission for the, for my team and myself. And I think again that uh, Ulysse Nana is not a brand doing watches. It's like a subculture. It's a small universe. And uh, you say I'm educated with my, my brand is because we don't consider this Nana like objects. We consider this Nana like uh, what is our contribution? What is our mission? Before our mission was safety at sea, 
by bringing the most reliable uh, marine chronometers. Uh, today, our mission is, of course, we keep our heritage alive, but our mission is contributing to design and research and development for the watch industry. And because we, un we understand that we are part of a community, we want to contribute to this community. And of course, Lisnarda may be more complex than some other brands. You understand some brands, they have one design, one campaign, one ambassador, and uh, put a lot of money and, uh, and you buy it, you know? Lisnarda, we are not doing that at all. Uh, most of the watches we do are limited editions. We will produce 30, 300 a year. And we have less production of watches, uh, of some models a year than we even have point of sales in the world. So you, you see, uh, the way we consider our job is very, very different. I think we have lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a small universe. And I think that, uh, this is what we want to explain. That's why I'm so happy to be here. And that thank you again for inviting me and, uh, allowing me to speak so much today. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think I'm easily excited by our mission. And I think your questions were very good uh, because instead of asking me, what is a new model? What is a new watch? Uh, you're asking uh, the best questions, which are, um, what is the role of the luxury industry? And, uh, you gave me the opportunity to explain what Luis Narna is doing and how we contribute, in fact, to the luxury industry. Thank you for that. Thank you, Thank you for giving me an opportunity to ask those questions. <laughs> you know, not every day you can speak with someone, uh, on that high of a position. And thank you so much. We need to thank Anastasia for connecting us, you know. Yes, um, I'm Anastasia from Christian Dior. We've been working together yeah. in, uh, <laughs> uh, in Moscow. Yeah, I've, trust me, I've heard so many stories about you. So, I you know, know. It's, I, feel, I feel like I already know you, ish, <laughs> <laughs> ish. But um, thank you so much again for joining this conversation with me and answering all of my, um, some of them were a little, I feel like, tricky questions. But, you know, I feel like we've learned so much about the luxury segment, about the luxury products, about what does it actually mean being a luxury? So I absolutely love this conversation. Maybe, maybe once again, we can do this soon. Um, and um, yeah, thank you so much for joining and thank you so much to every, everyone for uh, listening to this conversation. Thank you, Sophia, for inviting and uh, hi to everybody online. And I hope you can visit <laughs> our, our partners in uh, LA and uh, I'll be coming soon to LA as soon as I can fly. So I'll be happy, Sophia, to meet with you and. Uh, and your, Absolutely. And, your, and your club. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye.